Welcome to the Rogue Preparedness Podcast. Now, here's your host, founder and CEO of Rogue Preparedness, Morgan. Hey everyone, Morgan here, and you are listening to the Rogue Preparedness Podcast. I am so excited to be back. I'm very pumped for today's show. Uh, medical is something that I never really um, took very serious in my beginning years of preparedness, but it's actually something that I knew I was very, very weak in. So um, I, well, I'll get into this in just a second. First, let me introduce, I'm just going to jump right into it because I'm, I think there's going to be a lot that we want to talk about. But uh, today on the show, I have Kevin from uh, the Prepared Medical Response um hi kevin hey how's it going <laughs> uh, thanks for being on yeah uh we have been uh following each other for a few years now i think yeah um yeah we've... but yeah i i'm gonna be picking your brain today about medical but first i want you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and a little bit of background and why should we listen to you <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best question of all, um, but no. Uh, so yeah, I uh, started uh, medical-wise. I started uh, joining the army, and actually back in the in 1994. I'm a little bit older than I'd like to admit. Uh, joined the army as a medic back in '94. Um, stayed in the reserves uh, until 2004. Uh, I was medicaled out in 2004, and then uh, right before that, I had uh, Joined the fire department and worked um, worked there. I still do that. Uh, the first department I worked for sent me to paramedic school in 2007, and so I've been a firefighter paramedic since then. Um, and then I started teaching. Man, I probably started teaching maybe in 2000. 2000. No. That's a great question. So I started it's teaching. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I started teaching with the fire department in 2005 when I when I was working for them. I was teaching in-service courses and stuff. Then I started this company, Prepared Medical Response, in 2015 to kind of take what I knew and the experiences I had and kind of push them out to um, people who weren't professional rescuers because the majority of my audience initially was just other paramedics, other EMTs, other people that were in the industry that um, – you know, I was just teaching other medical responders. And so I wanted to take some of the lessons that I learned and some of the things that I um, thought other people should know. And I started teaching uh, non-professionals or, or lay people or just regular citizens uh, some of the, the things that I felt like they should know um, if they had to deal with a medical emergency. And the reason I did that was I saw a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of dead people that <laughs> didn't have to be dead. Oh. And so, um, you know, I thought, man, if people would just, do just a little bit of something before an ambulance showed up or before first responders showed up, then maybe they could make uh, a significant difference. And it turns out they can. Uh, I think we've seen that over the last few years, um, a big push for things that um, civilians can do, uh, stop the bleed, CPR, um, mm -hmm. all, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's been a big push the last probably three or four years. And so um, I kind of got in on the front end of that before I knew it was going to be something big. And it's turned into, uh, not just for me, but um, overall, just turned into something kind of big. Um, so I'm currently, yeah, I currently work as a firefighter paramedic full time. I just, I live and work just outside of Memphis. And um, 
that's kind of where I'm at now. I've been doing it now, I guess, for about 20, 21 years or so, 22 years. Um, awesome. And I think I'm just now at the point where I feel like um, I have something to offer if people ask me questions. So um, <laughs> nice. and then I've been teaching uh, through paramedical for about five years. And that's that kind of runs the gamut. We teach primarily our, our biggest client is, is tactical medicine. Um, so I teach police officers, SWAT teams, uh, military, whoever kind of wants to come or, or wants to bring us in to do some, some type of courses, but we're trying to branch out. I didn't want to start out. I didn't start out wanting to teach cops um, and SWAT teams and stuff, but that's kind of who came calling first, but now we're trying to get back into our roots, which is just teaching uh, regular folks um, how to be prepared medically. Cause we know that, um, your chances of encountering some type of medical emergency in your lifetime are, are, you know, fairly good. There's a really good chance that if, if nothing else, you may hurt yourself at home or witness some type of accident on the street or on the road. Um, and then all the way up to the, the unthinkable active shooter or some type of, uh, you know, response like that. And instead of being somebody that's just standing there watching or filming with your phone, you can actually become some sort of an asset to the scene. And so... So what do you think of, um, like when there, when there have always been like the active shooter, shooter situations, you always Mm -hmm. see people with, uh, who are using just kind of whatever they can, you know, they know that, uh, okay. So my point, my my question is I'm trying to beat around the bush here and try to be nice about it, but the, uh, the whole tourniquet thing, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, um, seem to think that a tourniquet is kind of the end all be all of first aid I feel like especially in the preparedness community and and uh it is like but the the more I learn about first aid and the more I've learned over the past several years a tourniquet is really really good for the limbs right yeah it's excellent for that doesn't yeah doesn't do anything else right (laughs) that's all it's good for um, right, right. And so I'm curious, do you happen to know when or how the tourniquet has become um, kind of like a real, a main source of medical gear, a main source of, of medical knowledge and things in which people always carry a tourniquet, but they don't seem to think about the other parts of the body kind of thing. I'm not sure if I'm getting this. <laughs> no, no, I understand what you're saying. So I think it's kind of stems from, it comes from the military. So we, in the military um, in 2001 is when the concept of, of TCCC or tactical combat casualty care uh, kind of came about when we first started fighting overseas in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And part of that push, a big part of that push uh, was hemorrhage control. And so mm-hmm. we've always had tourniquets. They've always been available all the way back, you know, from before the civil war, mm-hmm. uh, but they've never been effective. We haven't, uh, they were never effective. They were never recommended actually until, um, 2001. And so we, really? instead of taking a look at whether tourniquets work or not, we decided to, um, take a look at the tourniquet itself. And so even up until 2001, we were still using in the military like a strap and buckle or type a belt type tourniquet, which we knew from World War One and four that didn't work. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so it took a long time for, for somebody to just evaluate whether or not uh, what we had worked. And it turns out tourniquets do work, but they have to be appropriate tourniquets, um, mm-hmm. well-made, well-designed tourniquets. And so uh, we started using them in combat and they were very effective. And then uh, as the world of, of pre-hospital medicine goes, if it works in the military, eventually it will work itself out to the civilian side. And so tourniquets were kind of the first thing that were new and worked in the military and combat. And, you know, we've had now almost two decades of, of fighting over there. And um, a lot of those guys have come home and started teaching and started talking and started sharing. And so tourniquets were a big thing in combat. And so they became uh, widely accepted, widely used in the civilian side. And now everybody, every EMS service, every fire department, every cop, as a tourniquet. And so it's definitely kind of the first step in all this um, kind of first response care, the Mm -hmm. what to do before the ambulance shows up, Um, you know, put on a tourniquet, make sure I have a tourniquet so I don't bleed to death. And, and you're right. It's um, it works for the limbs. It works really well for the limbs. Actually it's, it's what you should use. If you have Mm -hmm. massive hemorrhage in the extremity, you should use a tourniquet. You shouldn't hesitate. You should put it on. It should be a tourniquet that, um, is designed to work. It shouldn't be an improvised tourniquet. It should be a tourniquet that's um, recommended, uh, that is known to work, has evidence that shows that it works. It shouldn't be a knockoff or a, um, you know, everybody nowadays makes tourniquets. Um, they're sexy. They're, you know, it's something you can put on your kit and whatever. So, um, but so there's a lot of companies out there that make them that, and they don't work or they don't work very well, um, but there are plenty of good ones to choose from. But they're a very limited uh, application. So unless you're bleeding from the arms or legs, then you really don't have a need for it. And it turns out that outside of combat, uh, we don't get hurt in the arms and legs a lot. Um, yeah, they're hard to hit. Yeah, we don't. Uh, <laughs> typically, um, if we're talking about gunshot victims in the civilian world, we're looking at um, pistol shots from about seven yards in the face and in the chest. Mm-hmm. And tourniquets don't work on the face or the chest. Um, right. So I tell people, absolutely, I feel like you should carry a tourniquet. Um, it's an easy thing to carry. It's not that expensive. It works. It's quick. Um, but if that's all you're carrying, then you're, you're, you're extremely limited on what you can do. Um, and if nobody's hurt in the arms or legs, you're not any help to anybody. So. Right. Um, I love the tourniquets. I, I carry mm-hmm. tourniquets. I, you know, have practiced with them. I'm all for tourniquets. It just, <laughs> it's so funny to me how just, um, a lot of people are just get a tourniquet, always have a tourniquet. And then it's like, well, what about anything else? Yeah, <laughs> should I right. have some gauze? Yeah, or... <laughs> I think it should, <laughs> what take else should I have? to the training they receive, if, if at all, if they've gotten any training, whether it's, um, something they've watched off YouTube or if they've gone to a course, um, there's a lot of emphasis, like the Stop the Bleed initiative puts a lot of emphasis on tourniquet use. And mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the first thing they cover. And it's a one or two hour course and they get bogged down in tourniquet and they kind of skim over the rest of it. And so right. people just kind of get that stuck in their head. So it's a good first step, but there's so much more to consider when you're preparing for, um, you know, some type of traumatic injury. So but again, so what, I, what, what would be those other things? So, I mean, if we're going to talk about what to have available on you. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So obviously 
a tourniquet is a good choice. Have one with you. Um, have it in your kit. Have it easily accessible. Um, then some type of gauze, um, preferably several packs of gauze. Mm-hmm. And that can be, you know, I, I, I can give you kind of the, it's all budget dependent. So, mm-hmm. you know, gauze is gauze. It's all the same. And how it's, how it's packaged depends on how much money you have and how much you want to spend. So you can go to, to a drugstore like Walgreens or, or Walmart or CVS and buy just a Curlex roll of gauze, just rolled gauze. And it's about 12 feet long, about four inches wide. Um, and that's, that's a, a lot of, of volume of gauze, which is what you want. You want a lot of volume. Um, and so you can get that in a cheap, um, kind of large roll where you can buy, com- you can buy it compressed through a retailer like North American rescue or H and H or TAC med solutions. You can buy a compressed gauze, which takes that same bulky roll of gauze and it vacuum seals it down to like a two by two square. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you pay more for that. Um, but it's, you can pack two or three or four of those in your kit in the same size that a regular uncompressed one would take up. So having gauze is critical because if you're going to bleed from, from anywhere else, or if you're going to bleed from an extreme and you don't have a tourniquet or you, or you run out of tourniquets, you can always pack the wound with gauze. And so when you pack a wound, it's all about the volume of material you have. You have to fill that hole, that cavity, um, all the way completely up, to, regardless of the size of it. It needs to be filled all the way up so you can apply pressure, direct pressure onto the bleeding blood vessel. So if I don't have enough gauze or enough product to shove in that hole, I'm not going to apply pressure. So I tell people, if you're going to carry anything, carry a kit with some with some gauze and some type of pressure dressing. And again, you can go as cheap as you want. You can buy an Ace Wrap from, from the drugstore for a dollar or two, um, or you can buy some type of trauma dressing from, from NAR or whoever sells them. Um, it all depends, again, on your budget. And some of them have different features. Um, but it's all of them are essentially a, a thick ace wrap with a with a pad attached to it. So you don't have to get fancy. But something to apply pressure, something to pack a wound. Um, and that will serve many, many more purposes than a than just having a tourniquet on you. So if I if I leave the house, um, I have a tourniquet that I keep in my vehicle. If I um if I think I'm gonna go into a place that I'm worried about being shot, um then I may put that tourniquet in my pocket, but I always have a little kit that I, that I carry. It's got um, a hemostatic gauze, a combat gauze, um, a regular gauze, and a little uh, pressure dressing. And that's just a shrink wrap kit that I can fit in my back pocket, you know, where I can throw it in my front pocket if I need to. But that'll, um, that'll, ha- that'll handle several more scenarios than just a tourniquet. Um, I can do a lot with that. So... So what you're saying is fill all my pockets with gauze. Gauze, and then you have to have you have to have something to wrap it with, some type of pressure dressing. But I would I would tell people if you're gonna if you're limited on what you can carry, um, and you're limited on what you can spend, which most people are are both of those, um, I would spend I would spend my money first on training, and then mm-hmm. to determine what you're capable of doing and and. And I mean, I can give you all the gauze you can carry, but if you don't know what to do with it, it doesn't do yeah. anything good. Um, same with a tourniquet. Um, and then from there, just, you know, under, having an understanding of how the, the body works and how it uh, reacts when it's injured, then I can take this equipment and I can apply it in a proper way. But I could do more with, with a compressed gauze and a, and a pressure dressing than I could do with a tourniquet. 
Yeah, it's um, it's amazing what training. I mean, it sounds like uh, it sounds crazy to say, but it, it especially the first aid. It's amazing what training it'll just open up your eyes to just like quickly understand the applicable, you know, like how um, gauze and the tourniquets and, you know, why you're using these things, not just Mm -hmm. that you have them or, you know, you could apply them to these certain things, but that, you know, it'll show you when to apply it and how to apply it, you know, and for how long and all this other stuff. So when I first took a a stop the bleed course, it was just like a huge eye opener, like, you know, um, so, you know, any medical training is, uh, I think is, is just, um, paramount, you know, and I, I was very, um, I was trying to say in the beginning, you know, I was very weak in first aid. My husband had, uh, was a para, uh, yeah, who was a paramedic, uh, for a while. And he, like, he was teaching me a lot of first aid stuff, but I still felt very inadequate. Like I just... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was like, man, I got this first aid kit. You know, I know how to use a Band-Aid and alcohol pads. I'm fine. And so, uh, but there's there's a lot more than that. You know, I'm I'm yeah. out and about and, you know, especially with me and my kids and, and you know, I just don't know what's going to happen. And a Band-Aid and alcohol may be great for the boo-boos of my kids, but, you know, and me and whatever. But um, what, what else? Well, what else is in this first aid kit? I don't really know how to use it. And so, um, I, I spent like a good couple of years, just like almost hyper-focused, but pretty focused on learning first, uh, first aid stuff. And, um, it's a really big eye opener. So, um, you know, first aid kits, I, I think are really, really good to have great to have everyone should have a first aid kit in the car in the home on your person in your bags have them everywhere but if you don't know you know like you were saying if you don't know how to use this stuff it's you know you're going to be i mean you can you absolutely can go to the internet and get um some knowledge from that it you know just like anything else you have to sift through uh, the people that you're listening to and, and decide if the people that you're listening to know what they're talking about or if they're just, mm-hmm. just there for, for whatever. But, um, and it goes, you know, all, all different directions. It can be someone who doesn't really know anything about medicine or has, or learned it, you know, 20 years ago and now mm-hmm. you know, trying to teach it, or it can be somebody who was very specialized. We're talking, you know, some type of military medic or special operations medic that sounds really cool and it sounds amazing and they have a ton of knowledge but it's it's an, in a very focused um context um, mm-hmm. i don't necessarily need to learn my first aid or how i respond to emergencies from you know a navy seal or a or a pj or something like that because i'm not mm-hmm. one of those guys so what how they apply medicine is different than how i apply medicine so um so it's it, you know finding the right people to listen to um i know again um budget plays into it so and when it comes down to preparing for things there are a lot of things to prepare for and so we have to kind of decide where my money's going to go do i train on firearms or i learn how to do medicine do i learn how to plant a garden do i learn you know <laughs> where do i spend my time and my money um, but i'm a little biased but i do feel like um, one of the primary pillars of survival has to be medicine at some point because yeah. regardless of what you're doing and where you're at, 
um, there's the potential to get sick or injured. And if you aren't in an urban setting, even if you are in an urban setting, depending on the circumstance, it could be a while before help arrives. So <clears throat> the average response time in the United States for, for 911 is 12 minutes. That's, that's average Oof. across the board. And there's a lot of stuff that can happen in 12 minutes. And that's if you, you know, 12 minutes in some places sounds like a lot, but in some places it doesn't, so, you know, some places are, are 30 to 40 minutes for just somebody to show up. And that somebody may be a sheriff's deputy or mm -hmm. a fire truck and they, they may not be trained on how to handle your emergency. So luckily somebody's going to show up. That's the, the country we live in, but we don't know if those people are going to be trained well enough to deal with your emergency. So, but 12 minutes is a long time. That's an eternity. Bleeding, yeah. If I'm bleeding or not breathing, then there's nothing that can be done for that person after 12 minutes, even five minutes. If I'm, yeah. if I'm bleeding out, then five minutes down the road, um, you know, there's nothing I'm going to do for you when I get there. So just having a basic understanding of um, how to control major life-threatening injuries for yourself, for your family. I mean, my biggest motivator was when I had kids is like, I don't, you know, I didn't live that far out of town and it took 20 minutes for an ambulance to get to our house one night. And I thought, this is insane. You know, and here I am thinking I'm prepared for things and um, I'm fortunate enough. My wife is a physician, but we were both dumbfounded. We were like, we don't have what we need. Hmm. He needs this medicine. Let's call the ambulance. And 20 minutes later, we're like, why did it take you 20 minutes to get to our house? And, wow. And so having an understanding of, of kind of where you live and what kind of response you could expect from your local government. And, um, and even if they have what you need, you know, we had, our son had a crew, had crew. He was two years old and woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't breathe. So we call 911, they get there finally, and they don't have the medicine that he needs. They have to take him to the oh. hospital to get it. And I thought, well, I could have driven him to the hospital by now. I didn't oh, want no you kidding. to have this medicine. So we immediately went out and got the medicine so we could do it ourselves the next time. So, Wow. But um, hopefully there you know, wasn't a next time. Yeah, well, there was, but we handled oh, it. So no. that's what happened. So and now you know it's everything's good. We've grown out of that, but we we didn't know at the time. So we started asking questions and um, kind of picking people's brains to determine what we needed to have in our home. So you know, obviously, I think that medicine is is a key. Um, kind of like you have. Food, water, and shelter are the keys to survival. I think if you're preparing, I think medicine should be at the top of the list because if you don't take care of yourself physically, you're not going to be able to do anything else um, beyond that. So um, yeah. if, you, if you get hurt or you die because you can't take care of yourself, then you're no good to your to your family or anybody else. So, exactly. you know, some type of, of training, stop the bleed is a good, is an excellent first step, um, but it all, it, it is focused on stopping the bleed and there's a lot more to emergency medicine than just bleeding. Right. And stopping the bleed is pretty easy. It's not difficult. It's kind of getting over the fact that you can do it and the gross factor and knowing what tools to use. Um, but it's very simple to do. Uh, but then there's an air, there's airway problems. There's, you know, there's a, a whole gamut of things that you could learn. So finding the right training, making sure you're vetting your instructors, doing the right thing. Uh, make sure that that instructor is applicable to your lifestyle. Again, you know, you don't need to go to a, a military special forces medic to learn if, if that's not the world you're living in. So, um, 
unless they're yeah, good. Do. Some of them are very good instructors. Some of them just use that that pedigree to to get students, but it doesn't apply to to their students' lifestyle. So. Hmm. Yeah, we um we're about an hour away from the nearest hospital and uh I can't even imagine how long it would take for an ambulance to even get here, probably mm-hmm. more than an hour. Uh, you know, just because we live an hour. I mean, you said, you know, just like you were saying, you didn't live that far, it took twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. And so, um, you know, being an hour from any medical assistance, I mean anything. Uh it kind of, it, um, makes me a little nervous sometimes, especially with kids, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to, um, like, uh, renew my, uh, like, uh, how to remove things from their airway. That's my biggest concern with my kids. Yeah. yeah. That's the scariest kids, thing. Yeah. And, um, I'm always trying to, <laughs> learn new information on that. I mean, not trying to learn new information. It's kind of the same thing, but it's just kind of like, you know, my, my kids like start coughing and choking. I'm like, Oh my God, is this it? <laughs> like <laughs> every yeah. time. And it's, it's very nerve wracking. So, you know, especially, I don't, I don't think it matters where you live. I mean, you could yeah. live in the heart of the city and there could be a traffic jam or, um, you know, I don't know, the the only ambulance available is on the complete other side of town or whatever the case may be. They could be tied up with another emergency. There could be a pandemic going on and it's super busy. (laughs) Right. Even now in in Memphis, um, with this pandemic going on, ambulances are not readily available. Really? You could wait 30 minutes in Memphis, which is, you know, obviously an urban area that has plenty of hospitals, but if we're not available to get to your house, then, and I think people get comfortable with the idea that, that if they call 911, someone's going to show up and they mm-hmm. will, they will eventually show up, but is, are they going to get there fast enough? And are they going to be the right person to deal with your emergency? Um, so, you know, it's just my philosophy. And I'm sure a lot of your, you and a lot of your, your listeners would consider, you know, not relying on somebody else to, to handle their, their life, you know, put their life in someone else's hands. You know, that's kind of the whole idea behind being prepared is like, I don't want to have to trust somebody, especially a a government or a large entity that I really don't have a a say in how they operate with me or my family. So I'd rather be prepared to handle it myself. And then if I have to use them, then I can. Right. What's really interesting about what you've said is a lot of people really focus on the times, which I've even said multiple times, but you have said a couple of times about whether they're even able to handle or have the type of equipment or medicine or whatever that you actually need. I think I was reading something in which um, an ambulance only has like so much on it. Like, you know, it's not, it's not a rolling hospital, you know? It's, it just has a few things on it to get you to the hospital, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's a really key thing to keep in mind too, I think. Yeah, we have a little um, bit of everything, but we don't have a lot of anything. So, um, right. And, and depending on where you are, uh, each state or each city will have its own medical director who will dictate what those paramedics can do on that ambulance because they're essentially mm-hmm. working under that physician's license and so Mm -hmm. some places are very 
uh, strict and they will say, you know, they, we're not going to let you use these certain medications. We're not going to let you do these certain skills, even though the medic may be trained in how to do those things. And um, the medical director may limit what they can do. So, hmm. you know, what we do here in this city may be completely different than what another city does just based off who that physician is who's in charge of that ambulance. I um, did not know that. That's interesting. So usually more rural areas will have a little bit more lenient because they understand that there's a lot longer transport time or, you know, they might be on their own for a little bit longer. Um, but hmm. Typically in urban settings, they're pretty limited on what, what we can do. Um, we learn a lot in school and how to do a lot. Then we get somewhere and we work and they're like, okay, just take half of that and just throw it away because you don't have access to any of that. So, oh man. And even the different places I've worked throughout my career, that it's changed. So, wow. Um, so yeah, you and it, and like I said, someone's going to show up if you call nine one one. That's the we have a great system. We have a great emergency system. Nine one one anywhere in the United States, you call it. Somebody's going to show up. It may be a fire truck, maybe a police officer, and if it's a police officer, they're they're probably not going to know how to handle a medical emergency. Right. Or they may be the first ones there and they're just going to be like, yeah, okay, we're here. Uh, we're just waiting on, we're waiting on the ambulance. Mm. Um, so. See, I just see too many of these, of these videos and too, I hear too many stories of people just standing by not helping yeah. somebody when you can clearly see they need help or they're screaming for help or whatever the case may be. And they're just, you know, standing by or walking away. And I think, you know, our self-preservation is kicking in at this point. And, you know, it's it's a combination of fear and self-preservation and lack of knowledge of and panic and shock and all these things that are combining. And, um, you know, this is this is the exact reason why training is so, so important, even if it's just basic, basic knowledge of, of a particular, you know, whatever medical or preparedness or whatever we're talking about. Um, you know, but also at the very heart of it, <laughs> we, we just don't want to get involved because we don't want to get hurt or because, you know, we don't know the situation and we don't want to get involved and that kind of thing. So yeah. it's a whole thing of, of, um, society, kind of turning their backs on society kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it's, you know, people, like you said, they just, I don't want to get involved. I don't know what's going on. Um, it's not clear to me what's going on. So I'm just going to kind of walk off and either pretend like I didn't see it or I'm going to call somebody else. Um, but you're right. It's, you know, and it, it's tough. It's tough. I can't say that I'm eager to jump in and help now. You know, in a medical emergency, I think sometimes it's pretty obvious that this is just somebody who needs help. But um, yeah. yeah, other situations you're like, eh, I don't want to get involved until it's almost too late, and you're like, ah, oh, man, I need, I have to now, or I, or I should have. Right. So, yeah, um, like you said, training is key. Like if if you are not trained or haven't been to any kind of training, you're not going to have any kind of confidence or mindset to to get involved or to recognize when you should get involved. And that's like you said, I think training is key. Because it puts you in situations um, that'll help you help your mind kind of make those decisions, and you can fall back on that training and say, "Hey, I've seen this before. 
um, and train right. by know my first steps. And it really, it's all it really takes is getting past those first couple steps of getting involved and, um, you know, kind of doing the Literally first and figuratively. Things. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, doing those first few things to kind of get the ball rolling and then, then it kind of just, you know, you just kind of figure it out as you go. So, but it's all about when do I, when do I do this and how do I do this? How do I get started and helping? Yeah, it's that it's it's also the fear, like you were just saying, like, how do I do this and how do I get started? Well, it's that fear of not wanting to be wrong, not, you know, or not wanting to hurt somebody or not wanting this. Like, it's that fear of, uh, you know, just they want to be perfect or they don't want to mess up or that kind of thing. I am I that we were passing somebody who was laying on their flat on their back and their legs were kind of wonky. And they were just on the sidewalk, like kind of close to the road and laying on the sidewalk, eyes closed, arms spread out. Like it looked like she had fallen. And so um, I told my husband, you know, call, um, call 911, tell him about it. And, you know, let's roll back around. I just want to see if she's okay. And so um, I get out and I go over to her and I, um, I just kind of, you know, Hey, are you okay? I don't touch her or anything, but I'm just, you know, Hey, are you okay? She opens her eyes and she's just like, what, what, what are you doing? And I was just like, I'm sorry. I'm just, um, I'm just making sure you're okay. And she's just like, get away from me, get away from me. I was like, okay. And I, I walked away and that was it. You are laying on the sidewalk. (laughs) I I know. And I was just like, whatever. Like she just wants to (laughs) rest on the sidewalk. That's cool. I'd be surprised if people ask you if you're okay. Anyway, on the street. So. Right. And it's just, uh, you know, I, I couldn't do anything. I, at least I, I, I felt better that I made an effort to see if she was okay instead of just assuming she was okay or just passing the buck to somebody else. <clears throat> it took little time and effort out of me. And if something was wrong, you know, I could have assessed from there and moved on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, I was wrong. She was, she seemed fine. You know, she's totally conscious. Well, I, I don't know if she was totally fine, but I didn't see any blood or anything like that. So she, you know, it's just one of those things. All right, fine. Can't help. Move on. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's all it takes. Cause if if she hadn't have answered you and if she hadn't been crazy and laying in the street, um, (laughs) then you, you you know, you might've made a difference. And that's right. That's what I tell people too. I'm like, it, it, at the end of the day, it's way better to have made some type of positive difference in somebody versus sitting there thinking, man, maybe I should have helped or maybe I could have helped. And especially if it's somebody you know or care about. Right. So, you know, having kids or having a family, um, you know, you, you do not want to be a survivor of, of something that happens and you thought, you know, I lost a child or I lost a, a spouse and I could have. I could have done something. And it's not even just these tragic mass shootings or, or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. you know, where you live, if something happens on your property, whether it be from a chainsaw or a knife or whatever, just an accident, you know, yeah. you're like, all I can do is sit here and wait an hour for an ambulance to show up. <laughs> right. Um, you know, It'll bleed out by that time, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it's, you know, just having the ability to the peace of mind, the ability to, to eat dinner with your kids and not worry about them dying from choking because you know you can handle that if that's if that's something that comes up. 
Um, yeah. just... it was it was even got to a point to where when I was actually pregnant, I th I didn't even think about it, but uh, I was like, "How do I give the Heimlich to myself while I'm pregnant?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I had to look that up and figure it out, and uh, that's yeah. an interesting thing. But uh, yeah, so it's just those little things that um, you know seem so you know, that's just not going to happen to me kind of thing, but it can happen to anyone and it, and it happens to people every single day. Every single so. day. And that's, yeah. And it's always, people always think it's not going to happen to me and not going to happen to me. And it might, you know, it could be something yeah. as simple as a car wreck, something simple as a fall, you know, it could be mm -hmm. something dramatic, but, um, it doesn't take much. We're not very, uh, we're not very hardy creatures. We're pretty frail. <laughs> And so it doesn't take a whole lot to hurt us or to kill us. Um, I say that all the time. I'm like, we are just the most fragile freaking creatures. Like, and and I'll tell you, and not to pick on my my coworkers or my brethren, but you know, not not all first responders are made the same. So the people that I've said this before, the people that show up, they may not be able to handle your emergency, or they may not be the person you want to handle your emergency. They, it's, mm -hmm. you know, that's not, and that's, we don't really have any say in that either. Who, who agencies hire to, to be on the fire department or be on an ambulance or be a police officer. You know, it's, um, unfortunately, uh, most people are undertrained or underexperienced and it's not a, it's not a career a lot of people flock to. There's not a lot of money in it, um, mm -hmm. long hours. So it's, it's, you know, so you never know, you never know who's going to show up when you call. So I'd rather... I've had something going and started, you know, I have an understanding of what's, what's going to happen, how to prevent it or, you know, how to intervene, I guess I can't prevent it, but how to intervene and, you know, do a little something, um, even here. I mean, I literally live across the street essentially from a fire station, but I know the guys that work there and I know some days that I just don't want those guys to come to my house. If kids <laughs> so, um, I just, I'll handle it myself, but, um, right. I feel, yeah, like you, I feel like you have a lot more confidence in yourself though. Like if I feel like, I just feel like ever since I started preparing, you know, over, over 10 years ago, I just feel like, you know, wow, I don't have to rely on that person for this, this, that, and the other. I'm, I, I mean, it brings such confidence to myself to say, I can do this without, you know, having to hundred percent rely on these other people. Like, exactly. I just feel like it would be just the source of great, confidence and ability that that you can do this you can you can take care of things you know to a certain extent maybe yeah. you know especially medical wise you know you, maybe you're not a doctor and you know you can tourniquet that leg but you still got to get to the hospital right but you know mm -hmm. you're saving a life still yeah and it whatever. Be that dramatic it can be something that's you know if if you seek out the right training you can learn things and this is something that we're trying to teach more of is how to deal with things that aren't life-threatening. So right. or when to uh, teach people, when do I call 911 or when do I call my doctor or when do I go to the emergency mm -hmm. room? When can I stay home and fix this on my own? And so that's a class that we're, we're trying to put together as we don't know what we'll call it, but essentially it's, you know, here's a set of scenarios or here's some common things that we see um, that people call 914 or they don't call 914 and they should or they shouldn't um and so you know my you know if my kid falls down the stairs 
when do I need to call 911? When can I not? You know, if my right. kid chokes, if we get a cut, if we get a burn, you know, is this something that I need to go to the emergency room for? Or is this something I can handle at home? How do I handle it at home? That type of stuff. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be life or death. Um, I know. I'm always asking that question. Husband and I, you know, our kid falls and, you know, I'm like, uh, does she have a concussion? We got to, you know, she has internal bleeding. Like (laughs) I go to the extreme, but my point is, you know, that's actually a question that we always ask ourselves, you know, well, when, when should we take her to the hospital? When should we do that? You know, I'm going to monitor right now, but gosh, did I, did I wait too long? You know, or not at all. I mean, you know, our medical, uh, our, uh, medical, what am I trying to say? The medical industry is not exactly, um, a shining star in our lives and, you know, it costs a lot. And, um, there's a lot of, you know, overworked, uh, doctors and nurses. So it's very, um, you know, there's a lot of misdiagnoses and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's tough, you know, to even, yeah. you know, want to encourage your, you know, self. It's like, I want to go to the doctor. They're going to tell me I'm, you know, I have the sniffles and they're going to charge me $500 or whatever, you know. They're going to um, charge you. That's, and that's, you know, that's a big thing. We see, I see it fairly often. People are like, well, I didn't call because I didn't want to go to the emergency room because I can't afford it. I'm like, well, yeah. in this case, you should have, um, you know, or, they call and I'm like, are you, do you really want to go to the emergency room for this? Because they're going to charge you a ton of money and you don't, you don't need it. You don't need to go. Um, but yeah, just knowing when to go and knowing, um, and if you choose not to go, what to look for and how to treat things at home. Um, you know, I think that class or that type of training uh, would be even more fun to teach than than some type of trauma class or life-saving class, just because it's, I can get more into um, how things work and I feel like I'm giving more knowledge or, or a, kind of a better product to people um, they can walk away with and feel like, Oh, that was, I learned a lot. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. know. Cause like yeah, almost literally everybody I teach now, they come to my courses and they're like, Oh yeah, I've, I know how to put on tourniquets or I know how to do this or I've, you know, I've been doing this for, and I'm like, okay, well, and they're like, I just came, you know, to kind of brush up on my skills or to, mm whatever. And so, and that's fine. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy to share what I know. Um, I feel like people always walk away with a little bit of something new, but to take a group of housewives or a neighborhood association or, a, you know, new parents or something like that and say, okay, here's your kids. And these are the things that they're, they're going to get into and they're going to fall downstairs. They're going to touch the stove. They're going to drink things, eat things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when you need to call your doctor. This is when you need to call 911. This is when you need to stay home. And I actually remember taking a like poison class or something when I was young, even it was for babysitting, I think, but um, yeah. I think, uh, I think that's definitely like all really important stuff to do. And I don't know if it's being taught regularly. I don't know, but I think it should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think all that be- everyday stuff for everyday civilians, I think should yeah. definitely be like a, just a regular ongoing teachings that hospitals or somebody holds. I mean, somebody's got to hold this stuff, but that's such a, it's a really good idea. I'll tell you that the secret is that it's not hard. It's not like, it's not medical school stuff. 
you right. know, the things that <laughs> the things that you would need to know are not like there's not secrets that they only tell doctors or nurses. You know, they're like, it's not it's not it's, it's not difficult stuff, but it's just basic understanding of of how the body works and um, and then what you really are capable of handling at home. I mean, even burns and cuts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's really very little reason sometimes unless there's a, a major life threat for you to have to go to an emergency room. Right. There's there, trust me, there's plenty of people in that emergency room who don't need to be there. So if you, if you can avoid going and adding to that problem, that's good. Yeah. For sure. Stay home and handle it yourself or, or go actually just see a doctor in an office and they can, they'll charge you a lot less and you won't be exposed to everything else there. So, right. And having right. the stuff at home, you know, knowing what to have at home, what type of kit to have at home, what type of things to have at home. Um, so you can handle, handle stuff, whether it be for short term or if you're getting into um, more prepper stuff, kind of the long term type stuff. So, you know, just having courses and training on, on that. And like, like you said, I don't know if there is anybody out there that does that. So hopefully that's something we can, we can offer here in the near future. Um, yeah. You should do like a, you should do an online course. I should. <laughs> just just saying. Like, I had a hard time even logging into your podcast. I don't know if you want to keep any of that stuff. But no, you're right. Well, um, maybe we'll talk about that later. But uh, I, um, I, is there anything else that, uh, any other little tips or pieces of advice besides um, <clears throat> we've covered a lot. And I think yeah. that, you know, when it comes right down to it, training is really essential any type of training but i I guess actually my question is real quick how can we go about finding that local training like i tried to find some local training recently and um gosh i just couldn't find anything yeah it can be tough because if places aren't there's only um it seems like a big community but it's really not so um the places that teach the most are pretty centralized. There's a lot of organizations in like Arizona, California, Texas. Um, and then you kind of get into the East coast, the heavily populated areas kind of uh, where people live is kind of where you see these training companies, but local stuff. I mean, I would definitely start with stop the bleed. So stop the bleed month is in May every year. Mm-hmm. And you'll, if you go to stop the org, I think it is you should be able to find something in your town, um, either local hospital, local school, there should be, every state has a director um, that you could reach out to. And that would be a good first step. And then from there, what I typically tell people or how I get a lot of my students is they went somewhere and did some training at, at point A and through that they heard about me or um, mm. social media or something like that. And so, um, but yeah, finding local stuff is difficult. You could, it depends on what you're looking for. So if you're looking for just like first aid, you can look, um, you could Google that, um, or you can just go to the social media is fantastic because you can follow people and you can see if you like what they do. And then if, if you like what they do, you can reach out to them and say, Hey, do you have any courses coming up in my area? Or do you know anybody in my area who teaches? Cause we will, if, if we, the, the folks who train and do this type of stuff, um, if we like each other, if we feel like somebody's good, even if I don't know them personally, but if I know that their content and their course and their 
they're good instructors. If somebody's in Texas, for example, and they say, Hey, I'm in Texas, I'll point them to like Lone Star Medics or, or something like that and say, Hey, mm-hmm. this is a good organization in your area. And um, are in Arizona, uh, independence training is fantastic. They're, I think they're around Tucson or Phoenix area, I think. I think they're near Phoenix. Um, Everything well, near Phoenix. It's, okay. um, <laughs> Really, I would just reach out to places you're like, hey, I like the way this guy does things or I like his content on social media and just reach out to him and ask him if they do stuff in, in your area or if they know somebody in the area. Mm-hmm. But I always tell people, start with Stop the Bleed and see if it's even something that um, you know, you're interested in. But I think at a minimum, Stopping the Bleed should be synonymous with CPR. It, the way that we teach CPR in this country is phenomenal. Everybody knows it. And you actually can learn it. You don't have to have a certification. You can just go on YouTube and learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fantastic. And it saved a ton of lives. I think that Stop the Bleed should be the same thing. You should mm-hmm. have, everybody should know how to stop massive bleeding. Because we know through data that that's the, the uh, leading cause of traumatic death is through hemorrhage. At least mm-hmm. outside of head trauma, which we can't really do anything for head trauma. But outside of head trauma, the leading cause of traumatic death is due to bleeding. So if we can stop bleeding, we can, we can save a lot of lives and it's really easy. So I think that, um, a, a great place to start for people is to do a stop the bleed course. And then from there, just kind of pick your instructor's brain or, or kind of just search around and see, follow some folks on social media. Um, you know, look up courses. You can look up tactical medical courses, which sounds really sexy and it is, it's pretty fun, but it may not be what you need, but those people typically, um, we'll know other people. That's funny. I actually did uh, duck, duck, go that. I was like, tactical first aid, medical, because I felt like that if anything would come up, that would come up. That would be. <laughs> Those guys are definitely, you know, and that's, it's almost the buzzword. That's, yeah. I'm trying to get away from it. I, I do that um, and I enjoy it, um, but that's, it's a small, small niche community. So it's, you know, yeah, not- and un- 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 unfortunately, a lot of the stuff I was seeing, I was like, I don't know, like I, yeah, kind of wanted, what just wanted more of the kind of everyday stuff, but yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, from my experience, is the people who are doing the everyday stuff aren't very uh, good. They're not very current. I will, I do tell people, if you haven't taken a class in trauma medicine in two years, then what whatever you know is probably out of date. Oh, for sure. It changes. Yeah. It changes. It's changing. Uh, very very quickly so we see updates and changes probably every six months or sooner Um, and that's just because what we learn on the battlefield translates to the civilian world and so we're seeing a lot of data come out of that and we just we change the way we do things fairly often better and so if you if you took a class and i get a lot of people like well i was a medic back in in 80s and i took (laughs) it and i'm like well that's great i'm sure in the 80s you were awesome but Mm -hmm. Um, what you know, what you learn then is not applied to what we do now. So, right. And that's not an ego thing. It's just like the, the, the learning has changed. Um, the science has changed and it will, it'll always change. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. Um, where to find somebody, you know, people are more than happy to reach out to me. You can go to hit me up on Instagram or Facebook and just tell me where you're at and I can find somebody close or I can. I think starting out, just kind of Google and stop the bleed. And then if you can get into a stop the bleed class, just start kind of picking the brain of those people and seeing what are the things they offer. Some hospitals, larger hospital systems will offer, offer courses and things like that. So. Awesome. 
or just come to the, uh, we will travel. <laughs> we don't travel a lot, but we typically stay in the Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas uh, region for our courses. So if people are ever in this area, we'd be happy to host a course. And if you have enough people, we'll, we'll go wherever you, wherever you want. So Fantastic. I have to with my wife. She has to <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Uh, very helpful, knowledgeable. Uh, go to preparedmed.com. Uh, you're also on Instagram. It's just preparedmed, right? Right. Yep. Yes. And uh, Facebook is prepared medical response, which is the, the full name. But yeah, Instagram is preparedmed. That's where we do most of our most of our content is through Instagram because we're just we're kind of picture heavy. Um, yeah. Which so, is good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, for, for for, great. Yeah. Good conversation. Awesome. Well, everybody, uh, go check them out. And if you are, have, if you have any questions about finding, uh, <laughs> I'm going to send them all your way. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good. I, I'm, I, I enjoy getting people in front of, of trainers. And like I said, I can't teach everybody. I don't even teach really that much anymore. Um, Last year was rough. 2020 was rough. So we're trying to pick up here in 2021. But, um, but yeah, I have no problem sending people to the right people in, in other areas. So there's some really good trainers out there, and I can't teach everybody. So I can get you in front of somebody that's good. I'd rather get you in front of somebody who's good than you find somebody who's not good. So that's fantastic. That's that's really awesome of you. Uh, so uh, everyone, head head over to Prepared Med. Thank you so much for being on again, and uh, we will talk more medical later, maybe. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thanks. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Conquer tomorrow by preparing today. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Rogue Preparedness Podcast. Ask questions. Never stop learning stay prepared. Conquer tomorrow by preparing today. See you next week.